Hello, everybody. My name is Kai, and today I'll be explaining the song "I Hung My Head" by Sting, also performed by Johnny Cash. Most of you have probably heard of Sting, but this song "I Hung My Head" is not one of his most famous songs. However, that doesn't mean it's not good. In fact, it's an excellent song. One of the things I want to do with this project is to share with you not only the biggest hits and classic songs, but also music which I really love, which I feel is special in some way. That way, you can discover and fall in love with new music. Or even new artists, depending on your age group and background. You know, we have this tendency to stick with the music that we knew growing up. A lot of us reach this point where we stop listening or stop expanding our musical tastes and horizons. So another goal of this project is to make connections between the generations, between all the music, because in the end, it is all connected. So. Back to the song. It's written in a narrative format. Sting is telling us a story, and because of that, it's all in the past tense. This particular story is written in the style of the American country tradition. That might be one of the reasons that Johnny Cash covered the song or made his own version of the song. A lot of Johnny Cash's music is in that country music tradition. In this song, we're going to see a lot of vocabulary and imagery, which makes you think of a Western film. You know, cowboys and horses and guns. It really takes you back to a different time period. The story begins with the line, "Early one morning, with time to kill." Early one morning, here he is setting up the story for us. He wants us to imagine the morning, the first part of the day, very, very early when the sun is beginning to rise. Early one morning, with time to kill. Having time to kill means you don't have anything to do. It's like free time. You don't have any responsibilities or. Nothing you have to take care of. You just have lots of time to kill. Open time. Early one morning, with time to kill, I borrowed Jeb's rifle and sat on the hill. A rifle is a type of gun. It's usually a gun that's used for hunting. It's not a handgun like a pistol. In fact, it's much longer, so you have to hold it with two hands. Rifles are very powerful, and when you shoot them, <laughs> makes a loud noise, and there's a big kickback. And this is not his rifle; it's someone named Jeb, Jeb's rifle. Here it says, "I borrowed Jeb's rifle." It's our first past tense of the song. When you borrow something, you're using it temporarily. It's not yours, so he doesn't own this rifle. It's Jeb's rifle, but he's using it, so he's borrowing it from Jeb. I borrowed Jeb's rifle and sat on the hill. This just means he's waiting. 
He's sitting around. He walked up to the top of this hill so that he can have a better view of everything around him. And he sat. This is the past tense of the verb sit. If you sit on a hill, it just means you're higher up, you're elevated. Next it says, I saw a lone rider crossing the plain. A lone rider is someone who is riding on their horse all alone. And this lone rider was crossing the plain. We remember that he is up on the hill. And from this point, he can see the plain. A plain is a vast stretch of relatively flat land. So in the past, he saw this rider moving across this plain. I saw a lone rider crossing the plain. I drew a bead on him to practice my aim. Drawing a bead on someone means that you're pointing the rifle at them. You're targeting them, almost as if you were going to shoot and try and hit them. But here, he's not trying to hit this man. He's drawing a bead on him just to practice his aim, to try and improve his marksmanship. But then something terrible happens. It says, My brother's rifle went off in my hand. A shot rang out across the land. Here we learn that Jeb is his brother. This is his brother's rifle. Not his rifle, but his brother's. And it says, My brother's rifle went off in my hand. That means that unintentionally or accidentally, he shot. Without him wanting to, he fired the gun. It went off in his hand. A shot rang out across the land. When you shoot a gun like a rifle, as I said, it makes a sound like And this would be the sound of a shot ringing out. But we have the past tense, rang out across the land. So it was very loud. You could hear it everywhere or across the land. The verse continues. The horse he kept running. The rider was dead. I hung my head. I hung my head. Remember that this rider was on a horse. But he shot him, and the horse kept running. The horse continued moving. He could see that he killed this man. He ended his life. The rider was dead. I hung my head. I hung my head. Hanging your head is something you do when you feel shame or guilt. It means that you let the weight of your head fall. As in, you're not holding your head up anymore. You're just letting it dangle or hang down. It's very symbolic of not being able to handle or bear a situation. So you can't even look. You just hang your head in shame. Here it says, I hung my head, which of course is the irregular past of the verb to hang. The story continues in verse 2. It begins... I set off running to wake from the dream. Setting off somewhere means that you begin your journey. Wherever you set off from is where you start your trip. He set off running means he's moving very fast. I set off running to wake from the dream. 
Remember, he was hanging his head, feeling very awful. So now he starts running to kind of wake up from this dream, this unreal, surreal feeling experience. I set off running to wake from the dream, and my brother's rifle went into the stream. This means that he threw his brother's rifle into the water, into the river or the stream. It's like he didn't want to hold on to this rifle anymore, so he just ditched it. He left it in the stream. Next it says, I kept on running into the salt lands. So he kept on running. He never stopped running. He just kept going and going into the salt lands. We don't know exactly what the salt lands are, but I assume it's a place where there's lots of salt, where you could mine salt. Salt is probably the most common spice in the world, used to enhance the flavor of foods or to preserve them. I kept on running into the salt lands, and that's where they found me, my head in my hands. They here means the police, or law enforcement. They were looking for who killed this man, and they found him just sitting there, his head in his hands. So after all that running, he takes a break, and he has his head in his hands again. That means he's hanging his head, this time resting it in his hands. It's another sign of feeling awfully full of shame and guilt. The verse continues. The sheriff, he asked me, why had I run? The sheriff is the head officer. He's like the leader of the police force. The sheriff had a question. He asked, why had I run? He wanted to know the reason or the motive for running. The sheriff, he asked me, why had I run? And then it came to me just what I had done. So then... Right there, in that moment, it came to him. That means it dawned on him. He realized what he had done. I think he was really in a state of shock before this point. He became aware not only of what he had done in killing the man, but what he had done by running, in not going for help. In the next line it says, And all for no reason... Just one piece of lead. I hung my head. I hung my head. It's like he still can't believe what happened. It's all for no reason. He can't explain why he did this. He doesn't have a reason. All for no reason. Just one piece of lead. This one piece of lead means the bullet. The ammunition that shoots out of the gun when you pull the trigger. Many bullets are made of lead, and so he says, just one piece of lead. I hung my head, I hung my head. Our story continues now in verse 3. Here in the courthouse, the whole town is there. We have a new setting, a new place. Now we are in the courthouse. The courthouse is the place where trials happen where justice is debated and decided. Whenever someone commits a crime, they're eventually going to have to go to the courthouse, 
where their fate will be decided. What will be the punishment or the decision based on the evidence? And in this courthouse, the whole town is there. That means that everyone in the village or the town, which is like a small city, is there. They're all listening to the trial. Here in the courthouse, the whole town is there. I see the judge high up in his chair. The judge is the person who makes a judgment. He makes decisions about how the trial should go, whether an argument is acceptable or not acceptable, whether evidence is permissible or not allowed. So he's like a referee or someone who makes sure that the rules are followed in the court. And this judge often sits in a chair which is a little bit higher than the rest of the courtroom. He's elevated. It's very symbolic of his position as the leader and arbiter of the courtroom. In the next part, the judge says, Explain to the courtroom what went through your mind, and we'll ask the jury what verdict they find. The judge is asking him to tell his story, to say what went through his mind. He's asking what his thought process was. He wants him to explain why he did it, so that everyone in the courtroom can make a decision as to whether he's guilty or innocent. Explain to the courtroom what went through your mind, and we'll ask the jury what verdict they find. The verdict is the judgment. It's the final decision made on a case. And in the United States, this final decision is not made by the judge. It's actually made by the jury. The jury is a group of people, just regular citizens who listen to the arguments, they listen to the case, and then they talk it over and they make a judgment. They then give this judgment over to the judge and he reads the verdict. He reads the final decision, this verdict. The judge asks him to explain what went through his mind, and he does. He says, I felt the power of death over life. He's saying that he understands how serious a situation this is. He can feel the big impact that this death had on this family. I felt the power of death over life. I orphaned his children. I widowed his wife. He killed this man, so the consequence of that is that he orphaned his children. That means this man's children no longer have a father. They're orphans. I orphaned his children. I widowed his wife. A widow is a woman who has lost her partner. Her husband has died, and so she is widowed. And he finishes his testimony by saying, I beg their forgiveness. I wish I was dead. I hung my head, I hung my head. Asking for forgiveness means that you're saying sorry. You're 
giving an apology for something that you've done wrong. But if you beg someone's forgiveness, then you're asking very strongly. You're pleading with someone that they give you their pardon or their forgiveness. Clearly, he feels very sorry because he says, I wish I was dead. Meaning, his pain and his grief is so much in his heart that he would rather be dead. He would prefer to die, and he's putting out that wish, that desire. And now we get to verse 4, the conclusion of the song. It begins just like the first verse. Early one morning, with time to kill, I see the gallows up on the hill. The gallows is a structure that's used to kill people by hanging. So hanging is an old punishment. It's a type of death penalty that was given for certain crimes. And in this structure, which is like a T shape, they would attach a rope noose, put it around the neck of the person who's being punished, and hang them. They would kill them by hanging. And so he saw the gallows up on the hill. He saw the place where he's going to be put to death. He's going to be executed. The verse goes on. Out in the distance, a trick of the brain, I see a lone rider crossing the plain. So as he's observing these gallows on the hill, there's a trick of his brain. It means that it's a mirage. It's probably not real. But he sees it out in the distance, far away, he sees a lone rider crossing the plain, just like before. It continues. He's come to fetch me, to see what they done. We'll ride together, till kingdom come. So this lone rider, this vision that he sees, he's come to fetch this man. That means he's come to take him with him, to take him away. We can assume that this lone rider is perhaps the ghost or the spirit of the person that he killed. So he's come to see what's going to happen. This man is going to be hanged. He's going to be killed. And so this spirit of the lone rider came to watch. He's come to fetch me to see what they done. We'll ride together Till kingdom come. Of course, they won't literally ride together. It's more symbolic of the connection between these two men and their fates, their destinies. Till kingdom come means until the end of the world. This is a religious or biblical reference pointing to a time when the kingdom of God will be a reality on earth sometime after the final judgment of all souls, all people on earth. And the song ends with the line, I pray for God's mercy, for soon I'll be dead. I hung my head, I hung my head. So he's praying or asking God for mercy, for compassion. It's another way of saying that he's asking God for forgiveness for what he's done. And so he wants God to be merciful. 
This is a common thing for people to ask for when they're going to die or shortly before they'll be dead. Many people feel that they want to ask forgiveness for the wrong things that they've done in their lives. You know, I don't have a lot of fears in my life, but one thing that does actually scare me is the possibility of hurting someone or killing someone by accident. It just seems like a terrible fate to have to live with that, knowing that you caused other people so much pain, so much suffering, and that there really isn't anything you can do to make it better. I do think that it could happen to any of us, but I certainly pray that it never happens to any of you, or to me. <laughs> Sometimes we don't know why things happen the way that they do in our lives, and sometimes we never find out until much later on. I do personally believe that everything happens for a reason, though, and that one of our main duties in life is to learn from whatever comes up in our lives. You now have two versions to listen to. You can listen to the Sting version, which is the original, and then there's also the Johnny Cash cover. I was introduced to the song through Johnny Cash. I got used to the way he played and sang the song, and I really preferred his version for a long time. But now, the more that I listen to Sting's version, the more that I find myself leaning towards that one. So that's my question for you. Which version do you think is better? Which one would you vote for and why? Leave a comment and let me know what you think. Finally, if you like this type of narrative song, check out Folsom Prison Blues by Johnny Cash. There's a full explanation of that song on my Discover the 1960s album at explainedinenglish.com. Okay, that's it for now. Until next week's explanation, bye-bye.